Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to episode one of the Rebooted Groovy podcast. Today is the 8th of May, and I'm Peter Lebrook, podcasting from merry old England. Sadly, I'm without my co-conspirator Glenn this time around, but not to worry, I won't be alone as I have a guest with me today. He is David Estes, the man behind the Grails Asset Pipeline plugin. David, welcome, and thank you for joining me on the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. How about yourself? Very, very good. It's a little bit miserable outside, but hey, this is England. This is what you expect. Um, I, I guess you're, it's a little early for you. What is it? Six o'clock? Uh, it's about morning? six in the morning out in California yeah, so, right now. Yeah, particular thanks for coming along. So no I'm going problem. to be doing an interview with David in the second half of the show, but uh, it'll help talk through some of the news items that we have today. Okay, so let's get on with the news. So the big news, of course, is that Groovy 2.3.0 has been released. It's final. Um, and I really do have to point out, apparently, I caused some confusion last episode over the versions of Groovy for the versions of the JDK. So Groovy 2.3 works with JDK 6, 7, and 8. Most importantly, it's the only version of Groovy that works with JDK 8. So um, I've, I, I've sort of looked through the notes. I think we went through uh, most of the features last time. Um, so yeah, David, was there anything that particularly stood out for you in this release? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is the JSON speed improvements, just being native to Groovy. Getting that in there is going to be work wonders for anyone writing API-based code and not needing to use Jackson or you know, you just have it by default now. Yeah, so I was, I was thinking about this because I was thinking, well, hey, everybody can use Jackson or JSON is apparently getting fairly fast now. So uh, what's the, is it a, a really big deal? Um, but I think you're right, just being able to use Groovy out of the box and get super fast JSON, it's going to be make for really nice lightweight uh, REST APIs, like you say. Um, are you doing right. those kinds of things yourself? Oh yeah, we do a lot of uh, REST API based endpoints for. We do a lot of client side applications, so right. Yeah, I'm using it all the time. Mm. So yeah, that's that. I I was particularly interested in the uh, extra, you know, the Java NIO support in the Groovy JDK. You know, finally getting uh, all the nice like the text property um, with input stream and all those things with the yeah, interface. So hopefully that will encourage more people to use the NIO interfaces and classes. Anyway, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's, uh, that's really uh, big, the big news. Um, apparently that JSON, JSON parser is very, very fast now. So uh, definitely worth giving it a shot if you're doing anything that's um, having to serialize, handle a lot of connections and serialize JSON, because if you've got a lot of connections, serializing a lot of JSON concurrently, you want it to be fairly fast. Otherwise, yeah, your computer's going to get pretty slow. <laughs> yeah. And in combination with this release, uh, Mr. Hackey, I will have the link to his blog in the show notes. But Mr. Hackey does a lot of um, blog posts for you know giving a little hints and tips for using Groovy Grails and uh, various other great related technologies, and he's released a whole host of Groovy Goodness ones to kind of highlight some of the features and some of the lesser known features in Groovy 2.3. Um, have you seen any of those, David? I, I haven't looked much uh, myself yet. I have seen a few of those a long time ago, but yeah, he normally has some pretty good stuff. Yeah. I haven't looked at him in a few weeks, though. Yeah, so he's uh, some of the 
annotations, the new annotations, I think the builder annotation uh, he gives a, an example of and some other stuff. I think it, uh, tail recursive is another one that he demonstrates the use of. Uh, right, so there, there's, speaking of the annotations, there is this new one, builder annotation. So this adds the uh, builder pattern, you know, the Java style fluent API. Um, you can just add the builder annotation, it gives you something like that for your class. Uh, it's, it's sort of, uh, I don't know whether the documentation covers it uh, terribly well just yet. Uh, so it's interesting that somebody put a gist up on GitHub, which gives you all the examples for how to use the app builder annotation. So if you're interested in that, check the show notes. There's a link to the builder AST transformation demo. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so in the Grails world, so um, Grails 2.4 is uh, progressing at the moment, and they're working on that. But what I found really interesting was uh, the Grails boot project. So I, I didn't really uh, notice this until fairly recently, but it looks like Graham and the gang are trying out, uh, you know, they're extracting, as part of the future of Grails, they're extracting a lot of the features that are were originally core into um, plugins, but more importantly, plugins that can be used from other uh, uh, frameworks. Uh, and this Grails Boot is Spring Boot with GSPs, which I think is fantastic. I think Spring Boot is mostly, a lot of people use Timeleaf with that. Um, I think GSP is really, really nice. It's one of the uh, big wins with Grails. Um, and of course, GORM. So we've had GORM standalone for a little while. So they're demonstrating how to incorporate that into Spring Boot. So that's very cool. Uh, I've added a link for that. Um, I don't know if you've been trying Spring Boot or trying any of these um, GSP and standalone GORM and GSP, David? I have a little bit. It's actually pretty cool. Um, super easy just to get up and going, um, looking into using it in a little bit of projects here and there. I think what I'm more excited about is just how Grails is separating these pieces out and decoupling a little better so that we have these individual plugins. Yeah, yeah. So I want to bring that up uh, later in the interview. But yeah, I think this this goes to the uh, the plan for Grails three, which is to you know kind of make the core smaller and just pull out all the various pieces uh, so you can choose what you want. So this this is the sign of things to come, I think. So right. that's one of the most exciting parts of uh, the, the, the Grails boot project. Um, so uh, very briefly, uh, there, somebody tweeted a, a link about uh, Groovy being used in SmartThings. Uh, SmartThings does software for, uh, you know, I think, managing uh, small devices. So this is all about the Internet of Things. And of course, Internet of Things is the one of the latest buzzwords. Um, it's fascinating stuff, really. I mean, it's we are going to have a lot, a lot of smart devices around the world, all hooked up, and basically most of them will be uh, talking with each other via messages. Uh, so it's interesting to see somebody on the forefront of Internet of Things using Groovy um, as a sort of DSL-like programming interface. Um, I think they have plans for future things, but uh, that's a nice use case for Groovy. So. Um, if you're looking for particular Groovy use cases, check out that link as well. Now, I think this is my favorite uh, piece of news from 
the, the last couple of weeks. Uh, GVM for PowerShell. So I'm a big fan, big fan of GVM. Um, I'm going to be very immodest now and say I did contribute to the tool. Uh, I, I gave the feature that allows you to have different versions of Groovy and Grails in different terminal windows. Uh, that's me. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, anyway, so no. Uh, Appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, Marco has done great work with GVM, um, and but one of the issues, uh, I'm not a big Windows user myself. Uh, I don't know if you are, David. If you, no, not not particularly. Uh, you're lucky. I sometimes, but I sometimes have to work with uh, Windows either for testing or for training purposes, <laughs> and it has been possible to use GVM. So I was originally just getting hold of the msys git, i.e. git for Windows, and that is really good. Um, and if you run it as administrator, you can actually install GVM and use it. Uh, and it works, it seems to work perfectly fine. Uh, but it's great to have a sort of independent native version. So this is GVM using PowerShell instead of the standard bash scripts. And this comes from the great work that Marco has been doing in providing an API, a public API for the back end so people can uh, communicate with that directly rather than using the command line GVM tool. So right, yeah, yeah. definitely my favorite piece of news. Uh, and uh, they recently had the Greech, in fact it was before the last episode, so there was a Greech conference in Madrid, I think it was, uh, certainly in Spain. And they had a lot of Groovy and Grails related content there. It was a dedicated Groovy conference. Nice thing they did, they put pretty much, I think, all of their talks online on YouTube. So I'm going to provide a link in the show notes uh, so you can go there and have a look at what, what talks were given and, and have a look at some of the talks. There's some very interesting ones given. Yeah, there's definitely some great videos there. Yeah. Did you watch any of those? Videos uh, yeah, I think I watched uh, one by Graham, um, just yeah. about the Road to Grails 3. That was probably mm. my favorite. And then I feel like I watched another one by Guillaume, but I don't remember. No, I watched Bert's. Uh, I, Bert's got a lot of uh, great feedback. People found it very funny. Um, <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, and some useful information in there. Uh, and uh, any, a couple more items. So something sort of close-ish to my heart because I've been have done work with social authentication before and I know the pain and the agony um, of trying to connect to Twitter and Facebook and Google Open ID. It's it's more painful than it should be. Um, I don't know if David, have you done any of this stuff? Yeah, mostly not in the Rails world though. Most of it's been in the Rails world and it's always been a pain <laughs> no matter where right. you go. <laughs> yeah, so did you use OmniAuth? I think OmniAuth is the one yeah, I Yeah, I did, yeah, OmniAuth. Yeah, and back I've, in the I've day, heard, Logic had a lot of plugins. Right, I've heard a lot of good things about OmniAuth, but yeah, it's 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 crazy. And unfortunately, in the Java world, there you know no no library has stood out. So mm -hmm. um, I, I was using Scribe for Java, which is basically no longer going to be an OAuth, a core OAuth library. It's it's shifting its focus to something else. Um, there's also Spring Social, which does a lot of these things as well. Uh, but it's also nice to see there's a, another library, Social Auth, and somebody 
wrote a blog post on how to use social auth. So this is a new Java library, and the blog post shows you how to use it with Grails. So if you've been doing that kind of thing, you're frustrated with uh, Scribe for Java, for example, or, or, or social, um, Spring Social, have a look, check it out, see whether uh, it does what you need. Uh, and if anyone actually does try it out, uh, please feel free to give us feedback um, and, and tell us how it went. Uh, and lastly, I'm going to provide a uh, link to a blog post, which isn't really Groovy Grails related, uh, but it's a, a light-hearted essay on, or I think it was light-hearted, uh, but it, it cut to the bone. It was very close to the truth on why programming sucks. And uh, I definitely felt it matched a, a lot of my experience. And it kind of compares, it's like, yes, these people who have their, their long labor-intensive days who, who feel that we as programmers just sit around and, and have it very easy. And uh, he, he kind of gives this rather extreme set of examples and why actually it's really horrible. It's, it's a tough life being a programmer. So I, I, uh, David, if you haven't read that yet, I definitely suggest you I do. I haven't. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now. I think I'm going to after this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny and it's... You know, it's an interesting perspective and pretty close to the truth in uh, my eyes. Okay, so that's the news for this episode. Right, so now over to David. So, uh, David, welcome again. Thank you very much for doing this, um, this interview. Thanks. Glad to be here. Good mm -hmm. to hear it. So let's start with uh, just... Tell us a little about yourself, you know, where you're from, maybe a little bit of your background in programming, possibly what you're doing at the moment, your company, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, I'm actually from Indianapolis. I actually live there now. Um, basically started programming when I was seven. My parents owned a programming company of their own, you know, consulting-type firm, and uh, moved on to there and working for an accounting company when I was in high school, accounting software, and then up from there learning Java Started with Foxborough actually, moved into C, Java, and then uh, when the web came, web stuff started getting popular. I started doing a lot of Ruby on Rails, then came back to Grails here in the past year or two, and uh, love it. Ah, excellent. So I, I I kind of heard you say, hey, I worked for an accountancy firm. I have to say I felt sorry for you at that time. How was it? Was, <laughs> it, was it as bad as I imagine it? Or? Uh, it was a lot of working on SCO and AIX servers and, you know, VI on the on the terminal. It was not fun. <laughs> you know, I actually, I'm trying to remember whether I learned, I think I learned VI specifically because I was working on uh, remote machines such as AIX and uh, IRIX and all of these Unix flavors. I mean, those were fun times. Um, were you doing C-related stuff or? Oh um, uh, yeah, a lot of. Other well, native? started off doing Bash scripting for them, and then just other uh, actually .NET related scripts tying into those systems, and then got into C, doing a lot of C scripts for them. Yeah, so I remember was, those. I remember those days vividly. It was painful. So even shell scripting was a pain. It's like, hold on, you're supposed to be a standard platform. Why, yeah. <laughs> Why is everything so different? Oh, um, man, it was horrible, especially with Sco, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have any experience with that. Um, interestingly, the one we liked the most in my company was Silicon Graphics, SGI, IRIX, um, but I don't think that went anywhere eventually. No, AI I never messed with that one. Yeah, AIX was completely different to everything. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so anyway, <laughs> I don't know how many of our <laughs> viewers will actually remember these things or, or know about yeah. them. Um, <laughs> uh, reminiscing. Uh, let's move on. So yes, um, from my perspective, you, you, you do seem mainly active in the uh, Grail space. So uh, I'm interested to know what led you to the framework, um, you know, that progression from Rails to Grails. Uh, sure. Actually, work was mainly the reason for that. Primarily right. before I was in the Ruby on Rails world, so I was I was actually pretty active in that in that regard. I helped a lot with Turbo Links, if you've heard of that. And um, I was that that plugins. came with Rails four, or they extended it for Rails yes. four, made it part of Rails four, and now we have a Rails version actually. Ah, excellent. Ah, no, that yeah, is Bobby news. Warner put that together. That's been around for a little while. But and yeah, I um, think it's a big announcement. So you can <laughs> after you finish this little bit, you can explain what Turbo Links is. Okay, sure. Um, so, yeah, then uh, a few years ago, I uh, basically was doing some contract work for a company who I now work for, um, which is all predominantly Grails, and uh, started diving in, and that's where I've been ever since. Yeah, excellent. So, so right, Turbo Links. So I heard about this. I only first heard about it with the Grails for rele uh, Rails for release notes. So. Uh, what's been added? What's been done for Grails in this regard? You say Bobby has been working on it. Well, I mean, TurboLinks is pretty much just a JavaScript library with a few server-side tweaks. Uh, so okay. it basically turns your browser into a almost a virtual browser. It goes and requests your elements via AJAX instead of your browser, and it actually keeps your browser from having to reload your main CSS and your main JS, so it causes your load times to drop significantly. It also caches a lot of history and it just makes your app feel a lot quicker. Mm. But it's not just a drop-in. You've got to do some work to make it work for your app. Okay, and is that available as a TurboLinks Grails plugin? I believe so. I think Bobby okay. wanted to put it together. I'll have to look that up and add it to the show notes. So, um, yeah, as my understanding for Rails is that uh, it's it's there to make your web applications appear faster without having to go the full route of um, a rich client-side UI with pure AJAX and a REST backend. Is, right. Is that pretty much it? Yep. It's yeah. a lot like PJAX, except it just does the entire document body. Right. Yeah. So interesting stuff. So Hey, I had not heard about that. So excellent. Thank you for coming on and letting us know about <laughs> that one. No so let's go to specifically the asset pipeline plugin. So um, I think sure. most people know by now that Grails 2.4 is actually going to switch to the asset pipeline plugin as the default, effectively uh, replacing the existing resources plugin. So um, I mean, I'm sure you're very happy about this. Um, must be, uh, I don't know how you felt when you found out uh, about that. Um, but what prompted you to actually start developing an alternative to the, the resources plugin? Sure, yeah. I'm actually pretty excited about it going into 2.4. Um, it's been a lot of work. It's been almost a year since I started working on it now already. It's time flies. Um, main reason I started working on it is once I came into the Grails world, we started doing a lot of client-side applications where we have hundreds, in some cases, hundreds of JavaScript files. And it became very tedious going back and forth into your resources file and adding those to your, to your packages and your modules and making sure everything was, you know, in the right order, all that fun stuff. So the other problem that actually grew out of that is once it became bigger, you always have to wait for resources to detect your changes. 
So you'd get the uh, waiting for resources on your browser when you try to refresh. You can refresh yep. immediately. Yeah, I know. Which the one. started adding a lot of time to my development cycle. Mm. So um, Rails has the asset pipeline, as a lot of people are already aware. So I said, hey, why don't I just try to make something like Rails out of the pipeline for Grails and see how it does? And it took off. Uh, yeah, and uh, it seemed to get a, a lot of interest very quickly. And uh, what impressed me the most, uh, or possibly scared me the most, was the rate of releases that came out. It felt like there was one a day almost at one point. Um, yeah, I, I like getting the latest and greatest out to people as quickly as possible. So if I find a small bug, no matter how small it is, I try to get it out as fast as possible. I don't wait and do a whole yeah. bunch in one shot. <laughs> I, I think it's, probably probably people like that as well because like hey this is very actively developed it's like there's, there's, someone's very dedicated to this so um, that's that, that that is very good. Um, it also so, scares people because they don't see snapshot <laughs> releases. <laughs> <laughs> so have you have you run into any issues with that? The, um, any of the re releases had sort of significant issues and you had to get another release out pretty quickly. Uh, I've had a few of those, you know, I've had like 1.7 came out, I had to do a 1.7.1 pretty quick. I think mm. most of that was supporting Windows platforms, um, you know, blind coding on a Mac to make sure it works for Windows isn't exactly fun. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. So, oh, there was some other interesting news uh, recently, so uh, do you know Vagrant? Uh, I've heard of it. So, uh, Vagrant allows you to effectively script the management of virtual machines. Oh, yeah. um, and it allows you to connect to them and set things up. So great for automated testing of different types of setup for your computer. Unfortunately, they never had core support for Windows until recently. So now you can launch Windows VMs and interact with those. So that may improve the, the quality of the software on Windows because people will be able to use Vagrant to actually test it before they release. Right, I actually um, have a PC at home just sitting in the corner for when I have to test Windows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've got dual boot on my, uh, my Mac at the moment, on my laptop, but um, it's a bit inconvenient rebooting just to test something. So. Exactly. Um, but I, 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 the, the biggest irritant for me, of course, is that Windows requires a license. So if you're just mm -hmm. doing it for testing, it just feels painful to have to buy a license just to test your stuff. Right. Well, I used to um, be on the PC bandwagon for a long time before I switched to Mac, so that machine's still there. So yeah, yeah. Just get to reuse it. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm interested that. Uh, uh, you effectively decide not to go with snapshots because I think it's really hard to get people to use snapshots to actually test them because it's like it's a snapshot it's unreliable it's going to break everything why would I want to use it and uh, you'll see it's a combination yeah it was a combination of that it was a combination of seeing a lot of people not releasing something and just being too nervous to get it out the door I've seen people have snapshot 23 in some cases or snapshot seen in the 30s before, I'm like, okay, at this point, go ahead and do a release and <laughs> yeah. start over. Yeah, it's a, it's a question mark I have over my Lazy Bones project at the moment. It's currently at 0.5, and it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's sufficiently usable to be a 1.0, but I feel that there are a certain set of features that I want in a 1.0, so it's like, uh, how important is it? You know, how, how key is it for it to be a 1.0? 
I had the same same exact feeling with Asset Pipeline when I switched it to 1.0. I was like, oh, should I do it? And I kind of just said, you know what? <laughs> Everyone's using it already. Let's go ahead and bump it to 1.0 and add our new features. Yeah. Yeah, I think the key point of going to 1.0 is your if you have an API, which a lot of projects do now, uh, you're effectively um, solidifying the API at that point. People do well, not want the API to change. After you got to have that backwards compatibility after 1.0. Yeah. 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 That's true. Um, we ran into that just as the extensibility in Asset Pipeline. We had to make sure those those uh, means for extending it were actually compatible for a period of time as I was upgrading. Very mm. uh, well. So, so these problems never go away. <laughs> <laughs> Software development has not got any easier, I have to admit. Nope. Yeah. But that's why I don't use snapshots. Also, it's not really, uh, it wasn't in the Rails world. It was just major, minor, patch-level version numbers. So oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and the thing is, I mean, with, with snapshots, you have that a potential problem of the automatic updates. You know, you have your snapshot version, you just run your application, and suddenly it's using a new version, and you may not have noticed that it's using a new version. Stuff breaks. So, right. Um, there are sort of advantages and disadvantages over it, around it. So, you know, an actual rapid release of, of patch releases is is an interesting approach and seems to be working well for you guys. So. Um, yeah, moving quickly on. So, uh, how did Asset Pipeline come to be the default? Was it a, a case of the Grails team approaching yourself, or did you kind of go to them and say, "Hey, how about bringing this in as uh, you know, this is better than resources for these reasons"? Well, I mean, it started getting quite a following of users, and you know, issues were getting closed up. I think when I started reaching a a rate of not getting any new open issues for a few weeks. Um, Bobby approached me not too long before about actually doing a uh, presentation at one of the Grails conferences on Asset Pipeline. I don't think it actually panned out, but after that, I talked to him about that, and I said, hey, I wonder when we should uh, try to make this a Grails default if everyone likes it. And uh, a few weeks later, he set up a meeting with Graham, and we discussed and decided to make it the default Grails platform. Yeah, excellent. And there it is in Grails 2.4. Um, yeah, I'm, do you have a do you have an expected date for Grails 2.4 release? I'm not in the loop on this. <laughs> I don't know either. I think they want some time in May, but we'll see. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Well, we won't have long to see if that's the if that's the case. Yeah. Um, okay. So on a practical matter, what do you recommend for the users who are on early versions of Grails, um, especially if they're already using the resources plugin? Um, or if they want to say start using Grails 2.2 with a new project because that's what they're using on other projects, do you think they should stick with the resources plugin or switch to Asset Pipeline as quickly as possible? Is there a known migration path? Um, yeah, I, I, I would recommend switching. It's not too difficult to migrate. As a matter of fact, it's a lot of people have been um, actually doing that switch over now. I use it in a few Grails 2.2 apps that we haven't upgraded yet. and couple of reasons I would switch is one is your boot time actually can go way down for large client-side apps because you're not having to wait for the resources plugin to process all those assets every time you restart your app. And that's um, because they're pre-processed, I take it? Uh, they're yeah, they're pre-compiled when you yeah. build your war file. Right. Right. 
And so that actually helps a ton with your boot time. I think it, one of our apps it shaved off 17 seconds of a 60 second boot time. So really that is do. not insignificant. <laughs> no, it's not, especially That's... when you're doing rolling restarts and you want to make sure your deploys are smooth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ah, that's cool stuff. Um, so actually, going back to something yeah. you, you mentioned earlier, because you say that the resources plugin, it effectively has a five-second window during which it will pick up changes. So it's three, three to five seconds. So it doesn't always yeah, automatically like pick up changes. So um, how do you deal with, with that with the asset pipeline plugin? Is it just every request it checks whether it's changed? Uh, essentially, yeah. So um, every request used to it actually would do, literally rebuild it every request, and it was fast enough to do that. Oh. Um, now it actually creates a uh, cache for each file after it processes it mm -hmm. in memory cache. And this is in development mode, of course. And once that's there, it also builds a dependency graph. Uh, for example, if you've got a file that requires 15 other files, it knows about that dependency graph, especially important for like less uh, and SAS. And it basically just uh, serves that up, and it creates an MD5 digest of that file and keeps track of that every request. And if it changes, it rebuilds it. OK, that, that's cool, because that was one of the, the problems with the resources. It's like, it, I think it originally did check every request, but it was like really slow. Um, so it's interesting that the, the asset pipeline approach, it can do that, and it's quick. Um, I was I was particularly intrigued uh, when you said, you know, I, I remember when I first noticed Asset Pipeline coming out on the on Twitter. It's like Grails plugin uh, Asset Pipeline just been released, and again and again. And I was like, looked at it, and it's like the less support was what really intrigued me because it's less and resources plugin do not really mix very well. I think yeah, the, that's the other problem with the resource plugin. It really wasn't designed with compiled languages for the client side in mind. Even CoffeeScript and SAS are very difficult to use in, in the context of the resources plugin, especially when you need to debug. Right. So yeah, I mean, so if you're sort of on the fence about switching to asset pipeline, if you're using anything like CoffeeScript, less uh, SAS, then definitely probably make the switch, at least try it. Um, I think you'll you'll be impressed with the the result. Um, so I do think I caught this uh, hint of asset pipeline being uh, available for other frameworks. Um, is it is it specific to is it's specific to Grails at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Um, right now, I'm just making sure it's ready to go for Grails. But um, if you've actually ever dug into the asset pipeline code, or anyone cares to, you'll notice. It's actually fairly decoupled from the Grails platform in general. Most of the code base is actually in general curvy source files. It would not be that complicated to switch it over into a standalone JVM-based plugin. So that's something I might look into down the line. Just a couple reasons I would want to do that is to broaden that familiarity with the syntax structure of the directives and how you use those, um, giving that standard across other JVM frameworks as well as what we have now with Rails. I think that can help a lot more. We've also got Grunt in the mix with the Require.js, so there's kind of a clashing of how you include those JavaScript and CSS files going through your application. Okay, so uh, do you know if anyone's actively looking at uh, 
trying asset pipeline with uh, one of the other frameworks, Spring Boot or Ratpack or any of the others? Uh, I think I, I already mentioned a Ratpack is kind of interesting. I think they're still looking at a good solution. So I think I might look into Ratpack. Spring Boot is also one I've already actually started looking into, um, mainly in in light of the uh, GSP and Gorm stuff going on with Grails. So mm. hey, maybe I'll jump on the bandwagon and see if I can make this work in Boot. Yeah, I'd, I, to be honest, I think the Spring Boot guys would, would love to have something like that as well. Um, and, of course, the advantage of is that Spring Boot and Grails under the hood are so similar. So, Right, um, it's probably the easiest one to move to right off yeah. the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Pack would be sort of interesting, especially because of its uh, pure async nature. Um, I don't know whether that will affect, if that particularly affects the... Um, Static assets or not, so um, yeah, it might be. Yeah, that would be interesting. Now that you mention it. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully, like, uh, if you aren't able to get to that, at least the the Rat Pack guys will will take a look. Right. Um, so uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, so, are there any other sort of projects or areas uh, of Groovy that you're interested in? Are you using Groovy in anything outside of your Grails projects? Um, not not too much. Most of my stuff is actually pretty purely Grails, um, but I do do some some Groovy core stuff. We've got a lot of um, plugins we're building for a logging platform, as well as a couple couple other things I'm doing as far as cloud files, like Carmen. I don't know if you've heard me mention Carmen before. Is another plugin I'm working on for Groovy itself, um, for making it a lot easier to deal with all your different cloud providers, Amazon S3, Google CloudFront, Rackspace, the works, and making sure it's super easy to get your files to and from without having to set up a whole bunch of stuff. So. Okay, yeah, that'll be that'll be useful. I mean, I think the, 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 the cloud uh, platforms as a service do sort of take that and extend it to everything, the whole application hosting. Um, right. So are you guys using a lot of cloud hosting at the moment? Uh, yeah, we, we have a lot of stuff in Amazon, definitely Amazon. We've got our own stuff going out. It's been uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, Amazon is so obviously the biggest game in town when it comes to cloud platforms. So, you, know, uh, you occasionally hear about Azure. <laughs> don't know if anyone uses it <laughs> outside of sort of core Microsoft supporters. Um, I'd be interested to see how the Google Compute Cloud takes off as well. But um, we, we definitely need the competition. We can't just have Amazon as the the one and only uh, public cloud. But, uh, right, of course. Um, yeah, cool. So I have to ask, what what do you what do you use to build your software? Oh sure, yeah. Uh, right now I use. Um, I'm actually been trying out Atom, Atom Editor lately. I've been kind of. Uh, Trying that out for the past few weeks, seeing if I like it. I actually was using Sublime Text mainly, and uh, Sublime Text 3 kept starting to crash on me, so I said, let's try Adam out. Uh, okay, yeah. So I actually think it's got a lot of potential. It's pretty cool. Uh, they just open-sourced it yesterday, I believe, so now anyone can get to it. And uh, the Groovy Grail support is limited, but it's getting there. So I think there's, we still need to add Groovy server pages to it, but that shouldn't be a big deal. Okay, yeah, that should be that should be nice. So you've moved on from your the the Vi days or the Vim days. Yes, yes. Oh, I'm saddened. I'm, I'm a, still a heavy Vim user, 
<laughs> I do think it's the best editor in the whole world. Yes, I can I understand. If I need you, but <laughs> <laughs> I can understand it's not everybody's cup of tea. Right. <laughs> so not not a particularly big IDE man yourself then. Uh, no, I mean back in the day I did a lot of NetBeans. Um, I've messed with IntelliJ a little bit, but yeah, pretty much Sublime is where it was. I was on TextMate a while for Ruby on Rails, switched to Sublime, mm. and then now we're here looking at Atom, seeing where that's going to take us. Yeah, okay. I was going to ask what, what you used for Rails. I think um, the Rails world, world I, I don't know, do they do they spit on IDE users? I'm not sure whether it's, it's if it's that severe, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not that severe, but <laughs> I don't know many Rails developers that use an IDE. Yeah, I think that actually took the support out. They had it at one point, and they took it out. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's yeah. interesting. I don't know whether Eclipse has uh, Ruby or, or Rails support. I know that um, IntelliJ have or had it, um, but I don't know whether they managed to persuade. Um, what was it? Ruby, Ruby Mine, I think, was the IDE. Yeah, anyway. I think I have heard of that one actually, but I haven't seen anyone use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what I loved about Grails when I first uh, came across it. It was like, hey, I can actually code this using a text editor. I don't have to use an IDE. Yeah, and yeah, that's partially thanks to Gantt, and also, I mean, Gradle is making that even easier for other stuff too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I remember the because. I do remember the days when we didn't have IDEs, or the IDEs didn't show compilation errors as you typed, and like Eclipse came along, and we sort of started using that, and it was like, oh man, this is so great. Um, but then after a while, it's just like this, this a little feels a little slow to develop every time that you have to restart the IDE and everything. So. <laughs> yeah, um, and these text editors are getting pretty good with their autocomplete and. You know, I mean, you've got linters already crop, dropping into these that do similar stuff now. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, the text editors are, are getting more powerful. Um, but it, it, it is, there's definitely uh, a rise of, you know, frameworks and languages that are just the way they're designed make it easier to uh, use if you've just got a text editor. So um, that's, right. my, that's my feeling anyway. Um, so I like I like things that, don't require you to have an IDE, but have nice IDE support. Um, mm -hmm. I still like, you know, for a big Grails project, actually I do kind of like pulling it into an IDE or, um, especially if we've got a mixed Java Groovy project. So I, I, I'm not such a dedicated uh, text editor man. I do occasionally use IDEs. I thought you used Vim. I do use Vim, <laughs> and that is, I use it way more than I use anything else, but I, I do uh, use IntelliJ as well, occasionally. Um, and it is, a, it is a really nice IDE. So it's it's just yeah. the right tool for the, the right time and for the right Right, moment. I think it's got one of the best debuggers in there just for Grails in general. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, just going to wrap up now. Are there any shout-outs you'd like to give to anybody? Uh, no, just thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah, thank you very much for coming along. So... Um, that's it for episode one of the Groovy podcast. Uh, this will go straight to YouTube, and then I will try to get the audio-only version up as soon as possible. So once again, thank you for to David for joining me, and uh, yeah, hopefully catch you next time in 
a few weeks. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.